0: Hey, Feisties! Welcome to the live launch of Hit Play, Not Pause. As I've mentioned previously, I am the co-author of the book, Roar, which I wrote with exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist, Dr. Stacey Sims. We created Roar to help women work with their unique physiology to feel and perform their best. It was and continues to be a big hit. But our menopausal readers let us know loud and clear they wanted more info on how to handle this particularly challenging time of life. So by popular demand, Stacy and I are writing a follow-up to Roar, specifically aimed at active performance-minded women in their menopausal years. So Stacy was a natural to have as my first podcast guest. And man, she did not disappoint. She delivers so much gold in this one, I'm just going to stop talking and get straight to it. Thanks for listening. I'm so stoked you're here. I'm so excited.
1: I know. It's so good to see you. Instead I know, like email, I know. you know? Oh,
0: it's, it's been crazy. way too long. It's been way too long. We have to be able to travel again. I know. But
1: you know, this is,
0: it's so great because as we've been talking about and as everybody knows, like, especially at this point, I mean, Michelle Obama's talking about menopause, right? So like there's, I feel like there's a lot of general menopause information starting to circulate, you know, starting to get out there. But the mainstream info, and I know because I've written a lot of it, is is mostly geared towards trying to get women to exercise, right? Because most people are sedentary, by and large, you know, women included. But when you when you then go into the subset of women who are already very active or recreationally competitive or, you know, whatever, it's a desert. Like there's just not anything there. And you know, I feel like we're we're just speaking into the wilderness. So when I announced this podcast and I know you had a similar response to the course, it was an avalanche of women saying like, Amen, and finally, and it's about time. So there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. There um is. I I feel like tonight let's just let's just do some broad brushstrokes, you know, about That's your good. work. Yeah, I know I yeah, know yeah. your work in this area, and I feel like even just doing some broad brushstrokes would be super, super helpful. So I want to start with some clarification because when you, when you Google menopause or perimenopause or premenopause or postmenopause, there's all these terms and the symptoms are very much the same. And it, and I feel like it's a little confusing. Like some women are like, well, is that me? Am I in perimenopause? What does that mean? And what should I do? So just through the lens of our audience of women who are trying to train, you know, trying to feel good and exercise through diet and training advice, what do these labels really mean? I mean, is there, is there a big difference between them or should they follow, be following similar advice? And I just wanted to throw that out there to start.
1: Yeah, um, no, they shouldn't be following similar advice. So when we talk about premenopause, this is like your normal menstrual cycle years, your real reproductive years. Okay. So onset of puberty up to about your early 40s. Then in your early 40s, you'll still have a regular menstrual cycle for the most part but your response to training and nutrition starts to change. So people start to be like, what the hell? Like three years ago, I was super fast. And now I'm starting to slow down so they train harder and nothing happens. And it's because you start to have a change in the ratios of your estrogen and progesterone mm-hmm. and you might start to have a little bit more estrogen dominance. So this is like the beginnings before we get into what we call perimenopause. Now perimenopause is around the four to five years before the actual menopause. And what happens in perimenopause is um, you start to have more anovulatory cycles. And if you have anovulatory cycles, you're not going to produce progesterone. So you're going to end up with more estrogen dominance. You're gonna have less progesterone. You're gonna have somewhat of a regular cycle. You might have shorter bleeding days or really heavy bleeding. So Mm -hmm. things start to change from a menstrual cycle standpoint, but also training and nutrition completely, like what what is going on? You start putting on right. belly fat, you can't sleep well, you're losing lean mass, you're not adapting to training, you're not absorbing training. And people like, you know, the normal response, I know from a lot of the women that I work with and just age group and, and mental drive is then they want to train harder and eat less. And right. then that's this, the first that's, instinct. Right. Stuff's that's going sideways, instinct. I must yeah. have to like not, yeah yeah. And then it puts them into like a lower energy state, which compounds everything. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And then when we get to specific menopause, menopause is actually one point in time. Right. It marks the anniversary, anniversary, as we <laughs> lightly say, <laughs> as 12 months of no periods. And so it's just that one point in time. And then after that, it's postmenopause. Mm-hmm. And when you're Googling stuff, they put postmenopause and menopause all in the same thing. And mm-hmm. some people are like, what's perimenopause? Like, I don't even understand it. And that's something that's completely different too, because they're all hormonal variations across. So when we're talking about the four to five years before that one point in time that's menopause, this is where you really start, start having lots of body composition changes. Mm-hmm. You start to have um, like cognition, brain fog, all those symptoms that they say are menopausal symptoms but it's perimenopause. And this is where we can really address those issues before we get into the rest of our biological state, which is that postmenopause state. So when you're looking at body composition changes, um, you know, cognition, reaction time, all those kinds of things that are deemed menopausal symptoms, they're not really menopausal symptoms. They're perimenopausal symptoms, which may last into postmenopause for the first couple of years.
0: Okay. So that begs the question, just for clarification, because we're going to talk a little bit about mitigating some of these things, right? Yeah. Is the advice, like, A, is it ever, if I'm postmenopausal, is this advice still applicable to me? And, yeah, you know, for, okay, so it's not too late. Like, if, like, the postmenopausal women don't have to leave the room. Like, we're talking Correct. to perimas- perimenopause through menopause. Because right. the same things that you're doing when that starts to happen...
1: I'm, I'm imagining continue. Exactly, yeah. So okay. when we're looking at it, it's what's happening from a hormonal standpoint because all the sex hormones have a direct effect on all our systems. And the, in the perimenopausal state, the body's trying to understand what to do when we don't have those hormones. And then when you get to right. menopause, right. postmenopause, and you don't have those hormones, you want to keep doing the things that you set up before you actually lose all your period um, to keep progressing to keep body right. composition, to keep progressing in right. your training, keep competitive, that kind of stuff. So it's not too late at all once you hit menopause and postmenopause.
0: So everybody, the, the number one thing that I hear, I'm sure you hear, I started to experience a few years back, is that it seems like an overnight weight shift. It seems like all of a sudden you look in the mirror and it's like, where did my muscles go? Where did yeah. this, wait, you know, like what, what's driving that? Like what drives that change? Is it what, yeah. in the hormonal... Change?
1: So we look at the way estrogen and progesterone have a direct effect on things like carbohydrate uptake, muscle glycogen, mm-hmm. lean mass development, neuromuscular mm-hmm. stimulation for strong muscle mm-hmm. contractions. Mm-hmm. And when you start to have a change in the ratios, you start to have more um, insulin resistance. You start okay. to not be able to store carbohydrate very well in the liver and muscle. You start using and storing more fat. Mm-hmm. Um, you also lose some of the estrogen progesterone stimulus for uptake of carbohydrate, and you start moving more mm-hmm. visceral, so that deep abdominal tissue fat. Yep, which yep. People will say the, quote, menopause. Right, um, right. And because estrogen in isolation is anabolic, when you start losing some of the ratios of estrogen progesterone and you start losing that... Um, pre-ovulatory surge, you also lose a stimulus for anabolism or building muscle. Gotcha. So now you have to look at what's an alternative. How do we do that? Right, so when we right. look in the mirror, right, and all of a sudden we have more body fat and we're squishy, we've lost lean mass, we've lost strength. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's because these hormones have such a drive on changing our body composition or maintaining lean mass, maintaining carbohydrate sensitivity and uptake. Um, When they start to go crazy, our body's like, whoa. And then we start putting on the more fat and have all these changes.
0: That makes 100% sense. So we've explained hormones as like messengers, right? So they sort of tell your different metabolic systems what to do. And when you talk about this, I imagine like them sending up a little SOS signal, like save our ship. Like what's going on? Like we can't keep this all humming anymore. And we we're sinking. So what the advice then is is to try to like pick up where the hormones can't do their job as well. I mean, is that, is that what yeah. we're we're yeah. looking at when we're working with our changing physiology because we're yeah. all about working with our physiology to improve our fitness. Right. And that right. doesn't have to stop just because your hormones are stopping your periods. Right. So let's maybe go through some of the big pillars that I know from your course and from the, some of the work we've done together Let's talk a little about that muscle and and how to give maybe some anabolic stimulus in when in lieu of the estrogen, you know, as our estrogen starts to disappear. What should women be thinking about?
1: So there's this, I'll I'll have to backtrack a little bit because when I'm looking at what's happening, um, primarily in the master's women where the perimenopause onwards, most people start to gravitate towards the long, slow distance. So you're seeing an uprising, like the ultra-distance rides, the ultra-running, that kind of stuff, because the body's becoming more attuned to long, slow, and Mm -hmm. metabolizing fat. Because when we lose the hormones, we drop back down to inherent sex differences at birth. So when we're looking at inherent sex differences, women have more... um, proteins in the mitochondria to use long and short chain fatty acids. So we default to using more fatty acids for fuel. We also have different in muscle enzyme activity to be able to have fast twitch fiber action and regeneration and using some of the fuel for fast twitch. So when we're looking at what happens when we lose the estrogen and we have that default back down to sex differences, we need to enhance what estrogen's done. So instead of gravitating into the long slow, because your body's really primed for doing that, Mm -hmm. you need to counter it. We need to look at doing the high intensity stuff. We need to look at doing heavy resistance training. The reason for that is not only with menopause, but also with age, we lose muscle fibers. Mm
0: -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so
1: if we're starting to lose muscle fibers, we need to bring them back. And if we don't have estrogen to help that, we need to look at an external Stimulus. So we need heavy resistance training to get that neuromuscular stimulus. So the fibers that are there will contract stronger and faster. So that maintains mm-hmm. our power and our strength. And then we look at doing um, like plyometric work or high intensity work to give a stress on the muscle itself to kind of break down. And then you give a, a protein bolus to get that anabolic action working to build the muscle back. So it's counterintuitive to a lot of women who are hearing like the general menopause response of, oh, you know, 150 minutes of moderate activity, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. three times a week of eight to 12 reps, body weight's okay. None of that works, especially in our active population. If we're trying to maintain lean mass, competitive strength, speed, power, we definitely have to get out of the long, slow mantra and into the short, sharp stuff to replace what the hormones used to do for us. Gotcha. So
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring some of that back into a little bit of a lay lens for people who yeah. might not have followed all of that. Um, yeah. So you're basically saying that we gravitate towards the long stuff because we're comfortable there. That's what our body is trending to do, but we, you're not telling me that I need to give up my four hour bike ride on the weekend, Stacey, right? No, Cause that, no. that's not
1: happening. But that's not happening also, in my world either. <laughs> right?
0: But you're telling me that I should also make sure that I'm including really sharp things like Tabatas or very high intensity interval yeah, work to exactly. sort of stimulate some of that. And also in the gym, not doing three sets of 15 or whatever, you know, we've sort of been programmed to do, but to yeah. lift heavy, like five by five sets of five reps, or even yeah. even less. Yeah. Um, and that's for neuromuscular reasons, meaning like you want to uh, stimulate the muscle fibers that are there, right? And Correct. that's, yeah. And that if anyone is still concerned and please in 2020, I hope you're not about getting bulky, that's not yeah. going to get you. It's not, that's not a problem here. You're no, not, that's no. not lifting like a bodybuilder.
1: No, not-, not at all. It's just
0: going to make you feel great, right? Can you define plyometrics for some people who may be unfamiliar with it or maybe a little scared of it?
1: So it's technically jump training. So you're looking at box jumps, squat jumps, any kind of multi-planar jumping action. So bounding, skipping, even jump roping, that's technically a jump training, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be like the scary look at the, you know, the 20-year-old track runners who are like jumping over, Hurdles and stuff. Right, right, right. Huh? Now, it's like, I wasn't very have... good at
0: that when I was 16.
1: Let alone... no, <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. going to do that now either. Right. Yeah. And so it's like in your house, if you have a step, you can either mm-hmm. jump up the step or jump down. Right. It's 10 minutes, three times a week of doing some kind of multi directional jump training. Okay. And it's for bone stress, but it also causes um, what we call an epigenetic change. So uh, situational oh. change. It
0: turns on your, your DNA, it turns on your genes. Yeah. Is that what you're Yeah. Yeah. Oh.
1: yeah. So it makes your um, muscles more efficient at using and storing carbohydrates instead of fat, Ooh. which we want at this point yes. in our lives.
0: I like that. Yeah. Because yeah. you're talking about the insulin resistance. So it's helping to counter some of that insulin resistance too. Yeah. yeah. Super important. You also mentioned protein bolus, and I'm sure that most people like...
1: What's a what bolus? Sorry.
0: <laughs> How do I get, where do I get a bolus? Can I Google it?
1: Yeah. yeah, no. Sorry, science, so. science brain. Yeah, dose. Yeah. So, you know, uh, a heavy dose of protein within, you know, 30 minutes of finishing activity because we need amino acids circulating for many right. reasons, not uh-huh. just for the anabolic stimulus for building lean mass, but we also need more um, amino acids circulating for brain function or Mm. gut function, Mm -hmm. and all the things that change really as we get older and lose those hormone effects. Um, Because every system in the body, including gut microbiome, changes when you lose estrogen and progesterone. So
0: nutritionally, is there anything else that we're looking at that uh, women entering this phase should be? I mean, you mentioned protein, and I I hear that all the time from you, like maybe protein every time you eat, you should have some protein. But are -hmm. there any other things that since we are becoming more carbohydrate sensitive, are there other things that we should be keeping in mind when we're fueling ourselves daily or for exercise?
1: Yeah. So when you're looking at um, typical carbohydrate, you can look at using your white rice or potatoes or you know some of the favorite things in and around exercise because your body's going to turn on a different mechanism for using glucose and, carbo- and carbohydrate. But the rest of the time, you're looking at carbohydrate from fruit and vegetables. So you're looking at complex carbs. You can put in some fermented sourdough bread, those kinds of things, because the fermentation is good. But instead of having a big plate of pasta, it's more of um, looking at having pulse pasta, so you're getting protein and and lentil. You know, so the pasta isn't made from wheat. It hits lower on the glycemic index. You get more nutrient density. So it's changing up the kinds of things that you're doing. So not giving up what you love, but looking for alternatives or going full board and going, okay, well, I'm not going to have the the pasta. I'm not going to have the white rice. I'm going to have quinoa and buckwheat and different types of veggies as the base of my dinner kind of thing. Right. Excellent.
0: And when I, um, confession. So I, Stacy and I, for, for those who don't know, are writing a follow-up book to Roar. Uh, I have playfully called it the Cougar Edition. I have no idea what we're actually going to name this
1: book. <laughs> but I like that working title. It's good. It's good. I,
0: it's, yeah, it's been, it's been <laughs> working for me so far. But, you know, we hatched this plan, maybe, I don't know, Roar came out in 2016. It became very, very clear that people wanted more than uh, a chapter. Right. Like it became very, very clear that they wanted more than a chapter. And at that time I was 46, 47. And still I was like, I just come back from a race in Cuba. I felt like I had this perimenopausal thing down. Like, I'm like, I can write this book with you. I know what I'm doing. And then overnight I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, just like you said, I mean, all of a sudden my body composition was changing and my sleep was like weird. And I was like having anxiety. I always have anxiety. So I thought maybe that's just me. But anyway, I thought I can't write this book. So I, I contacted Stacey in kind of a panic and you were totally unfazed and you gave me a bunch of this advice. And you also mentioned two adaptogens yeah. that I had, I had to Google. I couldn't admit to you that I had no idea what you just said. I was like, I just kept going shh shh shots and I finally found them. Okay. <laughs> and I got them and they worked. You know, long story short, like all this advice really worked. And it gave me, like, I felt great on my bike again. You know, I'm not as fast as I was 10 years ago, but I feel much more like myself. And I'm still hitting some PRs and standing on some podiums. So, like, it was really great. And then I was like, okay, I can write this book. But can you talk first a little bit about those adaptogens and, like, what mm-hmm. that does?
1: Yeah. So I guess the basic idea of what is an adaptogen, right? People are like, okay. eh. So adaptogens have been around for a really long time. And they're just now starting to get more mainstream uptake. Um, they're basically plant compounds in things like Indian ginseng. You might get a maca smoothie. Um, and then some of the mushrooms that are around, uh, like cordyceps and stuff mm-hmm. that have been around people mm-hmm. have heard about. But there are some really specific adaptogens that work directly on our stress and hormonal system. So we okay. have ashwagandha, which is one that's kind of good for everything. Shashandra is more of a stimulant for brain fog and wake up kind of stuff. Um, okay. Maca is one and rhodiola. All these four have been uh, really well researched through NIH and complementary alternative medicine. Uh, same with black cohosh, but black cohosh is not an adaptogen. That's the, the hot in, flash one, right? Yeah. I yeah, hear yeah, about yeah. that for hot flashes. Okay. Yeah. So the thing about adaptogens is they work sort of like an antidepressant where they'll you take them and they'll attach to uh, cortisol receptor sites, or they will attach to some of the estrogen receptor sites and moderate some of the flux that's happening. Because when we're perimenopausal and postmenopausal, we end up with more baseline elevation of cortisol, which is one of the yeah. reasons people feel really anxious and can't sleep. Stress hormone. Stress hormone, Yeah. Right. And then, with you know the fluctuation of estrogen, and sometimes the estrogen receptor sites are super stimulated, and sometimes they're not, depending on levels. That's so nice. the adaptogens go in and attach to some of these receptor sites, so just kind of flatlines all of those crazy responses and helps your body really adapt to stress in a positive manner. So when we look at using Shashandra, Shashandra is really good at giving you brain focus because not only does it help um, mitigate cortisol, but it also helps with serotonin and some other uh, neurotransmitters. And ashwagandha is more of a relaxation. It works on um, cortisol as well, but it, then it mm-hmm. it activates more of your parasympathetic response, which rest we I have. Guess. Yeah, which we have a really hard time activating when we have elevated cortisol, we can't sleep well, like we're always in this high stress state. So it helps with recovery? Uh, Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, it does. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're, yeah, they're just, they're really powerful because they do have this molecular structure that attaches to receptor sites that our body is used to having activated or downregulated. Right. Right. So instead of taking like black cohosh, which is just for hot flashes and it works, people aren't really sure, but they think that it works to temper the hypothalamus, which is your temperature center, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't affect your stress hormones. Um, Some people use hormone replacement or menopause hormone therapy to, put the um, hormones back in because they're having all these hot flashes, right? Because they're really, really severe. Like going on the pill, like a low dose pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're kind of in between and you're like, what's going on? And you're not having really severe vasomotor symptoms where you have immediate sweats four or five times an hour and you can't sleep because you're having all sorts of night sweats, You're looking for help on body composition. You're looking for help on anxiety. You're looking for help on memory and cognition. Adaptogens Um, really play that part.
0: Yeah. And I, I was a little, not that I don't trust you because I trust you implicitly, but I was, you know, I was, I, I've tried a lot of stuff and I was a little like, I don't know. I hope this really works. And it, and it, it, you know, all of it really, really did. And my, I see like there's some chat and Q and A blowing up as we're talking about this, about how to take them, how do you spell those things? We can put things in the show notes to, to spell this stuff out for people because yeah. I, can't, I can't spell this off the top. I'm not a good speller off the top of my That's head. Right. But yeah, and, and they have, um, when you do get these products, they, they have good, uh, prescri- they have advice how to take them on the, on the labels. So it's super clear and you don't have to take a ton yeah. of it. It's not, it's, yeah. like I throw the Shisandra in my coffee in Same. the morning and yeah, yep. it's super, super easy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's it's great. It's great to have things that, again, you know, I think the focus is of your work and and what we've tried to do with Roar is totally just working with your physiology. And what I like about the adaptogens is I felt like it was, I wasn't fighting myself. I was just sort of supporting myself. And yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's nice to sleep through the night without waking up, but three in the morning with a racing brain too <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, going, i just want to be asleep what's going on
0: <laughs> counting back from 30 yeah, yeah like all the tricks that i've that i've tried to do so yeah. that that's a. Uh, can you I, very curious like how have you in your journey like how have you come across all this stuff is it just like do you just spend all this time like what does that look like that you come across these adaptogens and and the the plyometrics for women like what, how, have, how have you amassed this prescriptive knowledge?
1: So adaptogens are kind of funny because when I was at Stanford, um, I got kind of out of more human performance and into the prevention research area. And so I had one hand in human biology, that was human performance and one hand in public health arena. Okay. And one of the visiting researchers, which was best friends with my mentor was one of the top researchers of complementary alternative medicine coming in from Columbia. And she was really interested in adaptogens and black cohosh for cancer patients because she was in remission for lung cancer. So she was looking at different adaptogens, and then she pulled me in on a project. And so that's where my first exposure to adaptogens was. Gotcha. And I started using them when I was traveling because at that time I was racing, and then I was also working over in Europe with pro peloton work. And so I was like, I can't afford to be jet lagged, right? I I can't afford to be not on my game so I started using adaptogens to help and so it's kind of been in my back pocket for a really long time and we're looking at it from a human performance standpoint increasing thermoregulatory mechanisms like you look at all the different physiology behind a, a sweat response and you know that well if we want to mitigate some of that inappropriate sweat response maybe we need to look at moderating some of these hormones and adaptogens fit in there okay And so, yeah, and then when you start reading about all the menopausal symptoms and you start looking at alternative therapies instead of hormone replacement therapy, they come up quite a bit. And so people are like, yeah, okay, well, this really works. And I was like, well, yeah, that does. And so I've kind of been had my hand in it since my mid-30s.
0: Interesting. You mentioned thermoregulation, and that's actually something that I had thought to ask and, and, and didn't. How How... Or if do our hydration needs change with this because you're very into the whole hydration piece too. Yeah. And does yeah. that change as we go into perimenopause and menopause?
1: Yeah, our thirst sensation completely flattens. We don't really feel thirsty that much, especially okay. when we're exercising. So, so it's we being still very need water or fluid. We still need yeah. water and fluid. Yeah. So yeah. it's being more conscious of the fact that you do need to, to drink for the most part, like during the day mm-hmm. and when you're exercising. Um and when we're talking about like um, thermoregulation and our very short, tight window now that we have, because we've lost some of that, what they call a thermoneutral response. Um, what, can
0: you explain that? Because you just actually lost me. What do you mean okay. by thermoneutral response?
1: So thermoneutral is, so, so you start exercising, and before you start sweating, you vasodilate, right? So you turn really red and the blood comes yep. up. Yep. When we're losing... Estrogen, because estrogen has a very tight tie into vasodilation and constriction, because it has okay, a very yeah. strong response in the endothelial lining and controls blood pressure and, and blood vessel response. Right, gotcha. So instead of being able to vasodilate and then sweat, we'll start mm-hmm. sweating right away because we don't have so much blood pressure control. There's an ad- gotcha. adaptive response with exercise, but neutral zone is that small window before we start sweating, where your body's like, yeah, I'm getting warmer, but I don't have to sweat yet. So when we get into perimenopause and postmenopause, we lose that. So we'll start sweating a lot faster and a lot sooner. Okay. But our thirst sensation is muted. So we have a really high predisposition becoming dehydrated. Gotcha. Which is not good. Not good. And then if you're, right. And then if you're experiencing night sweats or, you know, hot flashes in the day, it's the same thing. Like we're losing a lot of water through the sweat response. So staying hydrated is really critical one for performance, but also it helps mitigate some of the hot flashes because if you have total body water, that's up, then your temperature control is a lot better as well because your body can move heat around the heat around a lot easier when you have more blood.
0: So, um, is there, is there a sodium need change with that as far as like trying to stay more hydrated or not so much?
1: Um, not really. I mean, you're salting your food on a regular basis. Whenever you're drinking something, you have a little bit of salt in it. When you're right. exercising, you're using one of the functional hydration drinks that the lower carbohydrate, higher electrolyte. Right. Um, so it's pretty standard in the recommendations across the board as you would when you're premenopausal. But you mm-hmm. just have to be more aware that your total hydration need increases.
0: Right, right, right. And is it is it at all useful to look at your pee to see if you're hydrated? I mean, you hear that all yeah. the time. Okay. Yeah, okay.
1: Definitely, the pee sticks and urine height or urine specific gravity, like checking it when you wake up. And oh, then... you mean
0: actually peeing on the sticks like you've had us do? Yeah. Stew yeah working yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah 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 awesome. she, she would have
0: yeah. us do these hill repeats up mount Tam, and then have us like go behind dumpsters and pee on those urine sticks to see what yeah, was see happening what's going on. Yeah. yeah that was really exciting so you know i'm i was just talking simply about like is my pee the color of lemonade you're you're taking it like another step
1: yeah that, but you can like, monitor your pee color just making sure that you're not like taking a, a like vitamin yeah b vitamins yeah. or Yes, or branched-chain amino acids can also make your pee a lot darker too. Okay. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Good to know. As can beets. So, yes. Yeah. There's lots of stuff going on there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so we have a ton of, like, I have a ton of questions coming in. So maybe we'll just yeah. answer some questions for, yeah. uh, for some of sure. the listeners that are, that are yes. coming in. Uh, one, and this comes up again and again and again to sleep. So, like, yes. how can you what are some ways to improve sleep when your sleep is deteriorating from so many angles, you know, whether it be the Mm -hmm. hot flashes or the anxiety or whatever else is causing this disruption, like what can women do to help go to sleep and stay asleep?
1: Yeah. There are two primary things that, that you can do right off the bat. Um, One is not eating within two hours before you go to bed.
0: Okay. Why's that?
1: um, We know that, Because digestion is a parasympathetic response, and so is sleep. Digestion is a stronger pull than the rest and reset kind of thing. So if you are eating within two hours before you go to sleep, you're not going to get into the REM sleep or the slow wave sleep very well. You're going to stay in that light sleep that you wake up a lot. Oh, okay. Um, So it's like not having the bedtime snack. It's making Mm -hmm. sure that you have at least that two hour before you go to bed after your last meal, that really helps reset things. And then the other thing is um, using like tart cherry juice or some of the other more natural melatonin mm-hmm. producing and containing foods, not mm-hmm. taking a melatonin supplement, mm-hmm. is when you lose estrogen, you also lose more melatonin production. So when you're looking at why can't I sleep very well, we need to boost our natural levels of melatonin. So I tell women, you know, take cold tart cherry juice 30 minutes before bed, which seems counterintuitive to me saying, hey, don't eat two hours before right, bed. Right, right. Right. But there's a low sugar in the tart cherry juice and it gets out of the system quickly. So it doesn't uh-huh. affect digestion. The so the coldness will help drop core temperature. The tart cherry juice helps with natural melatonin production. And if you're still having lots of problems sleeping, then you can look at using rhodiola, which is a relaxant, or ashwagandha before bed, because both okay. of those help with sleep.
0: Excellent. Yeah, that's yeah. that's super good advice, and that's interesting. I I recently got a aura ring. Like, this is not an advertisement oh, yeah. for it, but yeah, like I so many people are tracking all this stuff. I'm like, I need to know what's going on, and I noticed that. What? Oh, look, it's a whoop strap, right? It's We've a We've got yeah. a little tracker's going. Oh, I know. On but i i notice with the r with the REM sleep that um if i have had like and i'm not one for late dinners but sometimes it just gets that way you know that it really does disrupt that totally everything else is good but like yeah. that is not is not so good so it's interesting to hear you say that but uh
1: yeah i did a little self biohacking experiment over the month of august okay I do tell yeah, um, because I'm doing a couple of projects in the advisory board for some projects for not, it, again, it's not an advertisement. It's just because I'm interested right. in the sleep tracking, right? Right. And a lot of the questions come up about sleep too. And so what I did is I collated most of the questions I get through the Dr. Stacy Sims about training and nutrition. And I kind of rate, made this training program in accordance to what a lot of the questions are. So it's high volume, 70%, you know, that gray zone training high-stress days, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. eating before bed because of a late meal. So I had these- So you were doing all that? I was doing all that. I felt awful. (laughs) And so I had the month of WHOOP data that they put out, like the high strain, low recovery, poor sleep, all this thing. And I could pick out the nights where I'm like, shit, I'm going to have a peanut butter sandwich 20 minutes before bed. Feel (laughs) awful, right? But I did on purpose. And I was like, fitness level dropped, stress went up put on some body fat. My husband is like, what the hell? Cause I was like, you're so like Robert irritable. De Niro, man. Like you're just <laughs> living like, <laughs> I live in the dream. Um, so I have all of this in and I'm like writing it, writing it up as like a little scope for people who want to know. Right. But it's really yeah. interesting to see when you drop your REM and you drop your um, slow wave sleep, how poorly you recover and how poorly you adapt for four or five days afterwards. So one wow. night of bad sleep really impacts fitness and recovery over the next few days. So sleep And important. recovery
0: is harder, right? Like yes. recovery is, is not, and that's not necessarily just a menopausal thing. I mean that you talk to men, you talk to anybody at some point as we age, I mean, it just yes. gets,
1: the recovery gets process
0: yeah. gets harder.
1: Yeah. So you have to focus more on all your recovery modalities. So you're, your massage, your foam rolling, your food in and around training, um, getting good quality sleep, sleep hygiene, um, uh, some of your mobility work. Like I really like Kelly Starrett's Ready State, for all the mobility work stuff that he does. So, all that stuff that we kind of take for granted, we can get out of bed when we're in our 20s and go for a hard ride or run. And now we're like, oh, I can't even walk downstairs. So, you really have to take care of that recovery aspect.
0: Right, and I feel like a lot of people, when they hear mobility, they think, oh, I need to stretch more, or I need it's to not, do, yeah. and that's yeah. not what we're talking about here, right? No. We're talking about some of your muscles, especially depending what you do, like if you have spent a lot of time being a cyclist or a runner, like you've got imbalances, right? Everybody totally. has got right. imbalances. And what you're saying is at this point, you absolutely need to address them because some of those muscles may not even be able to like come to the table anymore.
1: right. Right. Exactly. Where like running is in particular where your glutes turn off because your hip flexors are super tight. Then -hmm. your running form starts to change and you start ending up with frontal knee pain, pain. feels like joint pain. And it's not, it's just your mechanics are off. So once you start really addressing the tight hips and getting everything to fire, the pain goes away. You become stronger in your running stance. Same with cycling. Like if your glutes aren't working, you start to pull your knees in instead of your glutes Mm -hmm. working to, have that good pedal stroke, um, you're putting yourself up for injury. And it's really, unfortunately, it's really easy to become injured once you start getting older.
0: Right, right. And that, that brings up a little bit of an interesting question that I don't think I've, I've asked is that, you know, I remember when I was pregnant, my hormones did all kinds of wacky things because you get kind of loosey-goosey. And, you yeah. know, as your hormones fluctuate during menopause, is that doing anything to your stability or your joint health or your, that, that women should be aware of?
1: Yeah, definitely. So this is where um, you have a greater predisposition for ligament and joint injury because your muscles aren't firing very well. So again, it comes into the whole like functional training, right? So functional training is doing the deep squat in a a movement that isn't just like a squat with a bar. So you are squatting with a bar, but maybe you're doing um, a thruster or something like that. So you have actual movement where the whole body is moving in its full range of motion not okay. heavy weight in that, but you, you really right, have to right. look at how you're addressing. So all your stabilizers are working full range of motion throughout all your hips, your ankles, your knees. Um And then that helps keep everything firing to help prevent that injury.
0: Excellent. And I have a, um, I actually interviewed Erin Carson. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 So she will be on a future podcast. She's a, she, is, she addresses all of what you're saying right now about the functional training and the mobility in more detail. And I think, like she, it was super eye opening the stuff she was saying. So I'm really looking forward to having to having yeah. that show on.
1: Yay, yeah, yeah, so, I'm glad um, she's so cool. She knows yeah, a yeah.
0: lot. Yeah, yeah, she knows a lot. She's and she is 54 and just ran her own personal best half marathon time last year. Nice. Yeah. Right? You awesome. love to hear that. And she's also yeah, yeah I'll I'll save it. Shut up, Selena. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't give it don't give it all away. Um, I guess the last question and this 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 kind of Pulls at my heartstrings and this is outside of what we're talking about here but I think it's really 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 important because I know when I turned 50 all of a sudden I had a crisis of self image is the best mm-hmm. way to describe it I felt yeah. like I, I wanted and I'm not you know me I'm not shy I'm not I'm out there and I felt yeah. like all of a sudden I didn't want to be seen I wanted to be like invisible and it was weird and yeah. um you know I obviously fought that but you know, men, I I have a lot of these questions that says like mentally, what, like, how do you come to terms with being an old lady in competition, which I, I hate that somebody even has to ask that question, but like how, I think a lot of the things that maybe we're talking about might help some of that. Cause I know when I just stepped into it and I was like, you know, I've earned so much of this knowledge and I have all these miles in my legs and I've got a lot to bring to the table now, like, okay, so I'm, I'm 50, whatever that means, but I feel like how can we help women um, step into this space with us confidently, you know, and feel like they can go into the gym and feel like they can do all this stuff and not shrink back and be like, Oh, I'm too old for this. Or that's just for younger people. And maybe I should, maybe everyone's right. You know, maybe yeah, I want to, I want to get rid of that.
1: I know. I, I have that too. Cause I'm 47 now. And I train and, and ride with a lot <laughs> You're just of people. A baby. I'm just a baby, (laughs) Um, except some of my friends are in their early 30s. One just turned 30, and so they'll start going up the road on a tempo ride, and I'm like, oh, I'm the old one, and then I changed my mental. I'm like, no, you got to just forget about the age factor. It's like look at the kind of training you're doing and be strong. So it's the mental thing. It's partially a sociocultural thing when we talk about it, right, because you look at all the pictures of aging men, and they, like, have the ripped abs and the muscles, and then you see the aging women. silver foxes yeah exactly and then all the images of, of menopause is like the old 80 year old dowager hump kind of right and it's like that's just not the appropriate image so the whole goal of talking about menopause especially in the athletic space is to make people realize that it's not a negative thing it's a new life mm-hmm. phase and we can be strong we can be confident And if we change the kinds of training that we're doing to feel empowered and strong, that also promotes the mental acuity of, yeah, I got this. I'm strong. It's, you know, the pre-menopause strong is a new skinny, but I hate that phrase, but I still want to bring it in, right? I want people to be strong. Don't be afraid of being strong and building muscle, of owning it. Because if you're owning it within yourself, then it doesn't matter what your age is when you've run up to line. No, you're not going to be as fast as when you were 40 or in your 30s. But you can be highly competitive and really own it, even against the men, when Mm -hmm. you take it onto yourself to, to change up what you're doing. We also think about like coaching. When you're thinking about the past 20 years, it's just the past 20 years where marathoning came up and Ironman came up and all this ultra stuff came up. And so what's being transferred into some of the ultra distant stuff now is very archaic old school mentality that the coaching hasn't developed either but we're mm-hmm. looking at more and newer research about how premenopausal postmenopausal perimenopausal women all respond and according to your cycle is one frame of mind but when we get to the peri and postmenopause it's that high intensity and resistance training to make us strong, to get our bodies back. And that's mm-hmm. the coaching that hasn't caught up yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So part of the conversation also is getting the coaches to realize that everything that they might have t- been taught in the coaching consideration programs and continuing ed is still not as advanced as the research that's coming out. Right. And that's why we love you. Oh, Thanks. So, uh, you know, it's selfish, like I'm entering that phase, so I want to know what to do, right?
0: Totally, totally. It's all very self-interested <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Me too. Yeah, That's exactly. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Um, this has been magnificent. I am 100% sure that there are people who have gotten an awful lot out of this. And stay tuned. We We are... I got a book to, to write. You've given me a lot of information. I've got a awesome. deadline coming. But yeah. Um, yeah, I will turn this over to Sarah because she's got some more housekeeping for us. But thanks so much, Stacey. I really appreciate you.
1: Oh, thanks, Lane. You know, I wouldn't be where I am without you either. So it's partnership from afar that keeps continuing. So thank Excellent. you.
0: Thanks.